we're going to take the next couple weeks and talk about something that I think is really relevant. I've been planning forever to get into a, a um, series going through the book of Philippians, but we're going to push it off two more weeks. Because I really think I felt during this whole time that the Lord was you know, pushing me towards preaching on the book of Philippians because it's about Paul being filled with joy in the midst of chaos and confusion and confinement. And so I think it's pretty culturally relevant. The Bible is very relevant, right? But before that, I think there's, I've just been feeling like there's something else that I need to cover first. And so let me set it up this way. You know, we're living, as you guys all know, in an incredibly unique um, global cultural moment, unlike any other period of time any of us have ever experienced. No matter how old you are, you've never experienced, we've never experienced something comparable to the time we're going through. You know, we have this global pandemic. You know, um, I don't know if he's here yet, but um, we had to cancel... um, uh, Chris Martin, a missionary to Morocco, was supposed to be with us on July 4th weekend, so the 5th of July, because he can't yet leave Morocco because of a pandemic. He's got two daughters getting married this summer in America, and I think he's doing the services, and he can't get out of Morocco. We're living in a time where a man who makes his living traveling the world says, I'm stuck in a country, and I can't get home to see my own kids for their wedding. So we're hoping he makes it. Because if he does make it, he's actually going to be with us in August. We're hoping he makes it. Um, he's going to be with us. We rescheduled. But we're living in a time of a global pandemic that no one knows, no matter what side of the equation you're on. It's a hoax. It's the worst thing since the history of humanity. Wherever people believe, somewhere in the middle is probably the truth, um, that it's a pandemic that shut the whole world down. We've never experienced something like this in any of our lives. We're experiencing a time of racial tension in America um, that is at least being played out differently than it's ever played out in our nation before. Um, you know, rioting, looting, all that stuff. There's been marches in the past, but never with the extremes and now the polarizing um, effects of that of people from one side and people from the other saying, okay, look, almost to the point of us having armed, armed standoffs which honestly, in my opinion, could lead to some of the greatest civil unrest this nation's ever seen. I really believe that's possible. And I think there's there's honestly a spirit behind it that is trying to stir this thing up because it wants to, I believe, see the destruction of America. I believe it's not. We don't wrestle wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers in high places. I think the enemy of our soul does not love um, what the things that, that our nation stands for. Um, the freedom and especially the freedom of religion that we stand for. And so it's racial tension like we've never seen. Because of the, the um, COVID crisis, we have one of the most significant global economic declines that we've ever seen. And some of us go, oh, it's no big deal. If you talk to people who know the best, and to me it's business owners, so I talk to business owners and I say, what do you think the future looks like? A lot of them are going, it looks pretty scary. Some of the men in our church I've talked to said, I think it's going to get a lot worse before it very slowly gets better. You know, and they're saying, a lot of them are saying, saying to me, oh, we've not seen at all the bottom. That it's going, to, it's going to have some really significant, severe economic challenges in America and globally coming up. We're at a place of, at least in my lifetime, in this country, the greatest political division we've ever seen that's fueled by hate like I've never seen in my life before. It's one thing to disagree about things, but it's fueled by hate. I mean, absolutely like we've never seen. 
And we're seeing this, if you're, if you're watching the global Christian perspective on the news, we are seeing an assault on Christianity and Christian values like we've never seen before. If you've been paying attention, you know, in China, which has the largest church on the planet, I mean, underground, a lot of people say 5% of China is, is Christian, which is amazing. They have like over a billion people. And so um, the, just the fastest growing church in the world, almost all underground. But in the last 20 years or so, they've become above ground, meaning they've been accepted. And they have church buildings and crosses on the top. We've been watching the news over the last couple of years, and especially right now, the Chinese government has come and demoed the churches. At first, it was just taking crosses off the churches. Now, it's literally destroying the churches. It's demoing them to the ground. Um, because they have facial recognition stuff, they can see who goes where. And if you go to church, they, with churches that do exist, they actually are recording you to try to shut down completely what's going on in the church in China. Um, just came out last week that the nation of Israel, which I think is, we're really smart to be a friend of Israel, but the nation of Israel just shut down um, a Christian television station that was broadcast in Hebrew because they accused it of proselytizing TV along um, uh, Jewish people in the nation of Israel. So they just shut down a, a Christian TV, a longstanding Christian TV station. Um, the the uh, Islamic nations in the world right now, if you're watching the news, um, are just slaughtering Christians in unprecedented numbers. And I don't know if you, I get things from different organizations that send me prayer alerts, and it's just constant. I'm trying to think of the name of the country just last week that 20 Christians were, were beheaded. Um, and it's just happening. And a, and a man, again, I wish I could remember the name of the countries, um, who was just executed because he's a Christian living in an Islamic neighborhood. And it's just not happening going on constantly. Our Supreme Court in America seems to be siding very regularly with anti-Christian values. Uh, we just did a, a thing on, um, on what it meant to be to have sexual, you can't discriminate on sexual orientation, and they, and they attributed that to transgender in a Supreme Court ruling and saying that's never what it was intended to be. There's been many things, um, and we're seeing this, this rise of opposition in groups that are militant against Christianity, things like Antifa. Have you ever imagined there would be a day in America if somebody said to you, okay, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. A group of people are going to take over six city blocks downtown Seattle, Washington, and declare it their own nation. And, and, and literally barricade it off and have armed guards and keep you from coming and going. And you'd have said, that will never happen. You'd laugh and go, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard in my life. What's happening? You know, that stuff. So there's, this is the most crazy time that I think any of us have probably ever lived in. You know, we've not seen anything like this in America, and we've had unrest before, but we've not seen all of these things, and there's a, there's a real negative effect um, psychologically on America because of it. There's an incredible amount of uneasiness in people's hearts and their psyches right now. I've got friends who are pastors who, who are coming out and saying, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with some, some mental, um, some psychological issues in my life because this is really messing with me, and because of all of this, as Christians, what a lot of people are doing, and it's, 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 it's proper to do this, are starting to say, well, what do all these events mean? Could these events all tie into God's scheme for the end of the age to bring everything together? Could they? And so here's what, understand this on one side. 
Every generation of Christians have always believed they're the last generation. A, huge, a, a large part of Christianity has always believed, looked at the event and said, we're the last generation. I did a funeral a number of years ago for a man that a lot of you know, um, and he's a beloved friend of mine, Pastor Tom Hodge. Who remembers Pastor Hodge? Bunch of you, okay? He absolutely told me, God said I will not die before the end of the age. Well, I did his funeral. And he preached it from the pulpit. And he believed it with all his heart. And he believed the Lord spoke it to him. But guess what? I buried him in Nagani, Michigan. He's from here, but I buried, he was originally from Nagani. I buried him in Nagani, Michigan when I was a pastor in Marquette. He was a wonderful friend. He's the man who initiated me in the ministry. I loved him and trusted him. And, and he was, I'm not saying he was wrong. I'm just saying he didn't understand the times the way he thought he did. And I'm not saying that negative towards him. Always in every generation, I think there's something very positive about that, saying, man, we're at the cusp. We're at the cusp of this thing. But because of that, because of all the the, uh, things going on in the world, a lot of Christians are saying, but this might be, and I'll tell you this, in my perspective, this is the first time in my perspective of me, in my Christian journey, that I've said, oh my goodness, this might really be the end. Because I can see how things are coming together. Like, this could be. I'm never going to say it will be. We're going to look at that over this week and next week, and it's never the right time to say, never the right position to say it will be. But I'm going, man, things are, things are getting to the point where you say, maybe this is coming to the end. And because of that, and because of the access that we have to media, a lot of you are watching a whole lot of stuff. Matter of fact, I can't tell you how many of you have shared the exact same um, videos from a pastor that I went to college with who pastors in Kentucky, um, that are all sharing it because he had three dreams. And it's been shared, the last time I saw like a quarter million times, I bet you by now over a million times. I'll have to, I'll have to look, I guarantee you over a million times. People stirring up, matter of fact, somebody last night shared, me, shared that with me for the umpteenth time. Pastor Mark, have you seen this? I'm like, oh, yeah, I didn't respond. I'm like, not that I'm negative. There's a lot. I saw it long ago when it came out. Um, and so... There's a lot of unsettledness. So today, I believe as, as the shepherd of this church, I want to take some time and talk about what Jesus had to say about the end times. Not a pastor from Kentucky. Whether he's right or wrong, I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm saying whether he's right or wrong, to me, that's not the most important thing. And I don't care what some guy in the news says, and I don't care. I care most primarily what does Jesus in the Bible have to say about the end of the age, when he will return and he will fully establish his eternal kingdom, new heaven and new earth. And we need to remember something. That's the promised end of all things, that Jesus is going to return. He's going to establish his eternal kingdom, new heaven, new earth, his rule for all of eternity, no influence of sin anymore. So grab your Bibles and open up to the most expansive part of the Bible where Jesus talks about what's going to happen in the end. Open to Matthew chapter 24 and 25. Or fire up your iPad or your... You don't even have iPads anymore. Fire up your cell phone. To Matthew 24 and 25. Now, before we read anything... Let me set the stage for what's going on in Matthew 24 and 25. Because if you don't take things in context, you can make things say whatever you want them to say. Okay? So let's take it in context. 
Jesus, in this story, beginning of Matthew 24, is leaving the temple, the Hebrew temple, the place of worship, with his disciples. And they're talking to him about the beautiful temple, and Jesus looks at the temple, and he says, this temple is going to be completely destroyed. The center of Hebrew worship, they couldn't fathom it. The center of Hebrew worship was going to be completely destroyed. And then it says that the disciples asked him, when would the temple be destroyed? And when would he fully establish his kingdom and usher in the end of the age? Now, they saw those things as being right together. We found out that there's been a long time in between. And so um, what we find in Matthew 24 and 25 is Jesus answering that question. When will the temple be destroyed? And when will Jesus usher in the end of the age? And as as I understand Matthew 24 and 25, and I think this really is the right way to look at it, it's why you you can't just pick and choose verses. It's why it's so dangerous to be like, oh, my verse of the day. Now, there's nothing about meditating on a verse. But you always have to understand things in context. And so if you understand that Matthew 24 and 25 where Jesus has one answer to this one question, then it's basically two parts. You know, when will the temple be destroyed and when will you usher in the end of the age? When are you going to wrap this up and establish a new heaven and new earth? If you understand it, the whole thing is answering that question. And as I understand it, what happens in this verse, these verses, these chapters, is first of all, Jesus sets it up and explains what I just said. They're coming out of the temple. That's the first three verses of 24. And then Jesus gives, from verse 14 to verse 4 to verse 14, Jesus gives um, the, an overview of how everything is going to play out. So he gives a little snapshot, and that's what we're going to look at today. So this is kind of what it's going to look like at the end, verses 4 through 14. And then what he does from verse, 14, verse 15 of 24 all the way to the end of 25 is he gives little individual parables and individual teachings that add additional insight into the time waiting up to his return and his return. And they're primarily focused on how you and I are supposed to live during this time. So he gives a little snapshot. Here's what's going to happen. And then he gives these little stories, story, 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 parable, 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 all tied to answering the question and primarily focused on how should we live during this time, so completely relevant to us right now. So with that idea, with that structure in place, and it's so important to have that structure, otherwise you can just take one of the parables out of place and say, look what Jesus says. Well, Jesus says that as part of a big picture. So let's start by reading the overview, verses 4 to 14, of a time leading up to Christ's return and see what Jesus has to teach us. And this is what I want to make so clear today. His voice is what I'm using, listening to during confusing times. And we're in a very confusing time. So during the most confusing times, I want to focus my attention primarily on what does Jesus have to say? What does the Word of God have to say to me to keep me from going off this way or going off that way? And so what's Jesus have to say? So look at Matthew 24, verses 4 to 14. It says, and Jesus answered and said to them, see to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. You'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened. 
For those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. Then then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. And then he goes on from there. Let's just look at the very first word of the next thing. Um, verse, 15, verse 15. Therefore, so he's saying, okay, in light of this, therefore, and then he goes on and he does um, um, a number of little separate teachings, different parables about what the endos look like and primarily how we should live. And that's what we're going to look at next week. But for this week, we're going to look at this section right here. And what I want to do, because it's, here was my challenge. I want to do all 24 and 25 in one sermon. And I really thought I could do it because it's so important to get the big picture. And I thought, if I, if I don't give you the big picture, you're going to misunderstand it. And that's what people do so often. They take one little tidbit of something and say, oh, this is what the truth is. Well, no. What's the context? But it's impossible to do it in one. So what we're going to do is do it in two bites. Um, and so what we're going to do today is we're just going to walk through this verses 4 to 14. I'm going to highlight the main points that Jesus is making. And what I think there's seven primary points that Jesus is making about the end times here. So obviously seven of them, I can only just touch on them. But I think they're really important. They're going to to paint a big picture of what it's going to look like as we progress towards the end of the age. And as he's saying, they're like birth pains. So these increase. If you had a baby, you understand the birth pains increase, contractions increase before delivery. So he's saying they're going to get more during delivery. And it's actually one of his parables he's going to teach um, is that he's going to talk about that even comparing it to a fig tree that we'll look at next week. So these are the seven points. So just write them down with me. The first point is this. Keep your eyes on Jesus because you will hear many false voices. Look at chapter, verse 5 and verse 11. For many will come in my name saying I am the Christ and will mislead many. Verse 11 Many false prophets will arise and mislead many. More than ever before. So keep your eyes on Jesus because you will hear many false voices. And more than ever before, we need to be careful who we're listening to, especially in our day of social media. You can listen to what people say across the entire globe and hear them. And as I just said to you, multiple people, that's a perfect example, have posted and reposted and shared um, the dreams um, from a guy I went to college with and so who pastors a small church in Kentucky. Good guy, for all I know. Didn't really know him much in college, but, but um, little assembly's got church. And he does something that was just for his church, and people get on it, and boom, it spreads literally across the nation. A person from, the first person to share it with me was a pastor from Alaska. He's in Kentucky. A pastor from Alaska, hey, Mark, did you hear what this guy had to say? You know, and last night, people were still sharing with me from our congregation. 
Um, so all these voices viewed by hundreds of thousands and millions of people, but here's the deal. When you watch this stuff and you listen to this stuff, you have no idea who that person is going to say here. And if we learned anything, now some of you are going to be old enough to understand what I'm going to say here, and some of you have no idea, but, but can I say this? Learn from your elders. If we learned anything in Christianity in America in the 1990s, it was that you shouldn't probably listen to TV preachers and big-name media people that you don't know. Amen. Guess what? You didn't really know who Jimmy Swaggart was. I'm not saying he was a bad guy. I'm just saying you didn't know him. You didn't know who Jim Baker was. You didn't know who Marvin Gorman was. All these big-name people, you go, who are they? If you were serving Christ in the 90s, they were the number one, Jimmy Swaggart, number one fundraising ministry on the planet who personally through his ministry gave over one half the money to Assemblies of God World Missions through his one church. Half our budget came from his church alone. Huge. The most, the most dominant global Christian ministry on the planet at the time. And it crashed that quick because you didn't understand that the man's ethics didn't line up with his words. Now here's the deal. I'm not criticizing him because I would never, be careful when you wish to be famous. I would never want to be one of those guys because it would be, literal. say this, it would be hell because the devil is fighting you and looking for any, any, any little crack in your armor to get you with all this. So I'm not saying that critically at all. But if we learned anything from the 90s in Christianity in America is just because someone's on social media, you don't know them. You don't, you don't know if you can trust what they say. An important aspect of being able to trust someone is knowing their character. Knowing who they really are and who they really are. You don't see on a TV screen or on your phone. You don't see it. And if you don't know that, you don't know if you can trust them. So I'm just saying, be careful who you listen to. And I would say this, because this is God's structure that I'm going to talk about right now. Primarily, listen to the Christian leaders that God has put in your life. Those whose lives you can see. You can see Pastor Mitch's life. You can see my life. You know if you should listen and trust to what the person, that's the importance of the local church. If we got anything, what happened in the 90s is we learned how important the local church was. Because you could see the guy and the gal doing ministry, and because it's never about superstars. It's always about somebody just having the, a life transformed by Jesus, all of us having lives transformed by Jesus, and sharing together the goodness of God in ministry in all different dimensions. And so you could see their character. But also central to this point of being careful who you listen to is the need for each of you to be able to hear Jesus for yourself. Jesus is encouraging you for these words, to, for you to be able to walk with him, know his voice, know his word, so you can determine who's false. He's saying, you be careful, many false voices. What he didn't say is, and go ask the person on TV who, who's the right voice, or go ask Pastor Mark. He doesn't say that. He wants you to be able to determine who is true and who is false. And that doesn't come automatically. Prioritizing your life around knowing Jesus. I'm saying prioritizing your life. Saying the most important thing in my life is knowing Jesus, be sitting in his presence, meditating in his word. As I have been hearing all the information, 
Because just like you, I'm in a state of a little, a little chaos right now in America. With all, start off saying all these things that are going on on our planet and our country right now, it's chaotic. And it's hard to feel settled. And in, in light of that, you know what my number one thing has been to do to make sure I don't get off, off track? Live in this book. That's why I had no intention on preaching from Matthew 24 and 25, but the way I felt the Lord wanted me to do is because over the last months, I've been living in Matthew 24 and 25. I've been meditating on them and reading it and saying, Jesus, what are you really saying? And I can say this. I've actually come to some insights that I didn't understand before. And maybe it wasn't unveiling in my eyes, or maybe God's just explaining it because of signs of the times, some of the things I'll talk about next Sunday. But I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't really get that before as I've been just meditating on the word of God. So the first thing that I've done is I'm, as, as I'm looking to what does Jesus have to say because you have to do the same thing because you want to be able to hear the voice of the Lord. Not this is right and what it's wrong. Um, so that's how each of us needs to live so that we're not deceived and misled because what's the word? He says the scariest word about being misled in, in the verse that we read. He keeps using the word many, many false prophets and many will be misled. Many will come in my name saying I am the Christ and will mislead many. So it means it's going to be pretty pretty uh, effective, the deception. So you better live in the book and know who you're listening to. Make sense? That's point number one. Point number two, I'll try to take a little less time on the next six points. Point number two, I love point number two. Don't be afraid. Look at verse 6. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Now you would think that would say, wow, pretty scary times. What's Jesus say? See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that's not yet the end. Do not be frightened. In the midst of the chaos, Jesus says, don't be afraid. Now how in the world is that possible? It flows from the point before. If we keep our eyes on Jesus, then we know that, that we are with him, that he has us in his hands, that he has a plan, an eternal plan that he's working out so we can trust him to have us in his hands in the midst of the plan, leading us safely into our life with him for all of eternity. I can rest in that. And as I think about this, I'm reminded of somebody that most of you probably have heard of and maybe some of you have read about, a pastor from Germany named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Who's ever heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer? A bunch of you, half of you. Read some books by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Writes a lot about living in community. Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor in Germany during World War II. And he actually left Germany, came to America for a while, pastor in Harlem for a while, really. Was big on like racial reconciliation. And, um, but he felt, how can I leave my brothers and sisters in Germany be slaughtered um, when I'm not helping? And so he went back to Germany knowing his life would be on the line. Eventually he was arrested for being involved in a plot to kill Hitler. And, um, you know, he, he concluded in his life, you know what, the greatest thing good I could do was actually get this man out of power. And he was imprisoned, and eventually one of the last days, one of the last, one of the last uh, orders that Adolf Hitler specifically gave was to hang Dietrich Bonhoeffer in, in a prison, and they hung him with piano wire. So you can imagine the outcome. He's decapitated when they hung him. But here's the thing about Dietrich Bonhoeffer that I find so amazing. If you read about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the things that people point out about him, or one of the things they point out about Bonhoeffer when he was in prison, is how happy and joyful he was. And not only that, he ministered to everybody in the prison. He had like little church services. And not only his fellow um, 
um, Christians who were in prison or Jews who were in prison, he ministered to the guards. The guards actually gave him preferential treatment um, and like smuggled things into him and smuggled his writings out because he loved on and ministered to the guards in the midst of all the chaos. In the chaos, he was not frightened, even though he knew full well he would probably be killed, and he was. Why was he not frightened? Because he knew and he trusted his Savior Jesus. So death didn't frighten him. Understand something, friends. When all of this chaos is going on, you always have to say, so what, so what, so what. If anybody's done track, you know what I'm talking about. Laddering. Who knows, remembers, knows what I'm talking about? Laddering. Some hands going up. It says, well, if that happens, well, so what? What's the next result? If that happens, so what? What's, and you're trying to get to the common, base common denominator. What's the big deal? Well, the Christian gift that we have here, the gift of being Christians that no one else has is, we don't have to fear death. Death loses its sting. Why? Because we know the end of the story. There's no need for anything to frighten us, no matter how chaotic it gets. Because we know the ultimate end. Guess what? If you're in Christ, new heaven, new earth, we win. Amen? That's awesome. We win. Not that we win, but we see somebody else. We get to see glory, experience sinlessness, live with Jesus for all of eternity. Not, not on a cloud playing a harp. That would be horrible. It is going to be a new heaven and new earth. I think I'm going to, I'm going to actually get the chance to climb Montepichu in new heaven and new earth because I think it's going to be new heaven and new earth. I, the place I want to see, that's why I don't have a bucket list. You know why I don't have a bucket list? Because I have all eternity to see everything. I don't have to scramble to get it done before I die because when we die, we don't die. That's why Bonhoeffer could minister to the guards who are holding him captive. He's like, this isn't the end. Go ahead, kill says, don't be. What's the worst you can do to me? Kill me. I'm in Jesus' hands. So Jesus says, don't be afraid. Number three, we need to get moving here, right? Say, Pastor Mark, get moving. All right, number three. Jesus knew his coming was a long way off. This is what the disciples didn't get, but he knew it was a long way off. Look at verses six and seven again. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but this has not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. And we'll we'll stop right there. Jesus knew that a lot of global events would precede his return. And those global events obviously take a long time to happen. Um, Now, for us, he said that over 2,000 years ago. It's been a long time. So what this says is this realize that it still may be a long time, but also realize that it already has been a long time and it could be now. So here's some good advice for Christian people living in end times. End times started the day Jesus ascended and will end when Jesus returns, so we're in the end times. It's just that these things will increase, it says, as it gets more near the end. Here's good advice. Plan your life as though Jesus will will, will not return for 100 years, so make plans but live each day as if Jesus could return today. So you make plans for the future. You have families. You advance in your career. You get an education. You plan for retirement. But you live each day in such a way that you will rejoice when Jesus returns, meaning this. You'll have nothing to be ashamed of. That's the way to think of it. Am I going to live today in such a way 
that if Jesus came back today, that you wouldn't go, oh man, I'm a little embarrassed to see you right now. Don't look at what I'm looking at, Jesus. Don't listen to what I'm talking about, Jesus. Don't pay attention to what I've been doing, Jesus. Live each day that if Jesus returned today, you are rejoicing at his return, not trying to hide. Because guess what? Adam and Eve found out that doesn't work. Right? Hide behind a tree. Maybe God won't find me. Doesn't work. You know, live each day so you have nothing to, reju- nothing to be ashamed of. But plan as if Jesus might not come back for sure in your lifetime. And if you do that, the, the big thing that will happen in you is the things of the world will become less valuable to you. I'm talking about the things you can do, the things you can possess will become less valuable to you. You will be able to hold on to things with open hands, knowing that they really don't have eternal value, and knowing that if you are right at the end, because we're looking at some pretty scary things coming up, potentially scary, but we don't have to fear them, that you just, everything you have in your hand could just be gone in a heartbeat anyways. So you learn to hold on to them loosely. They don't have that much value. So it doesn't mean that much if they're gone. So learn from yesterday, plan for tomorrow, and live in today. That's a good way to live. Number four, and this is contrary to what a lot of you have been taught to believe, and I'm just going to say it, you will be hated if you love Jesus. Look at verse 9. Then they will deliver you to the tribulation, to tribulation, and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. It's been really easy to be open to openly serve and love Jesus in our American lives. It's been really easy. But Jesus is saying it won't stay that way. Jesus says the day is coming where you will be hated if you love him. And that's something that we Americans just aren't usually used to. We can't get our head around too much. But our Christian brothers and sisters across the globe experience this every single day. When we were in Cambodia and we, were, we ministered in, to Cambodian nationals, and the ones who had become Christians early on, man, they were persecuted for their faith. They still are persecuted for their faith. To them, they couldn't separate being persecuted from being Christian. It's like, become Christian, get persecuted. But we've lived in a totally different setup here where be Christian, be accepted. You know, and I may be wrong about this because I don't know how things are going to play out. But to me, this means that the America that we know will not be the America of the future and the America at the end of the year. Um, you know, this wasn't written... Understand this, and people try to do this. They're always trying to interpret um, Scripture, what's happening to America. America's not that important. And it's hard for you to believe. We are not the center of the world. The church, the world's been going, you know, we have at least 5,000 years of recorded history. America's like a little over 200 years old. No nation has continued to exist. No empire has stood. America's gone up. America will go down, down if Jesus tarries. It will. Every nation does. The Bible's not written from an um, American perspective. It's written from a, from a global Christian perspective. And it appears that at the end of the age that there will be a great persecution against the followers of Jesus. Now, I don't hope for that. I don't personally want to experience it. I don't relish it. But I think we need to see the possibility that even in our lifetime that, that, um, that what's happening everywhere else in the world 
surely can happen here that there will be great persecution against Christians, even in America. Number five, there will be a great falling away. Look at verse 10. Let me stop before we do it. Somebody needs to go and teach Jesus how to lead. Don't you know you don't get a following by saying negative things? That's what I've been hearing for the last 30 years in, in, in structuring or teaching you, how do you lead a church? I'll just be positive. I'm like, Jesus, you need to go to a seminar. You don't understand how to do it today, Jesus. Maybe he knows something a little better. He's just being honest and telling the truth. He's the son of God. He's God. He knows what's going to happen. I want to listen to him. Not some false prophet that's saying, oh, just listen, everything's going to be fine. So give to my ministry. Now, what's Jesus say? Verse 10, there will be a great falling away. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. You know, I've often heard Christian people talk about a great end time revival. I don't see it anywhere in Scripture. I read a prophecy recently from a, from a pastor who's passed away a few years ago that I greatly respect, saying that he believed the Lord told him there'd be a great third great awakening in America. It's from David Wilkerson, who a lot of things he said has come true. Here's my deal. I hope he's right. So that would mean that the end is a lot farther out than we believe because Jesus is painting a picture where it's not about a great revival. He's talking about a great falling away. So if Wilkerson is right, Jesus' return is a lot further down the path. I hope Wilkerson heard from God and he was right. I hope it is true. I hope and I pray there's a great awakening in America and we return to Jesus in droves. But I know at the end what I see about the very end of the age is there will be a great falling away and many will be misled away from Jesus. Now understand something. Jesus is not saying this to scare you. Jesus is the one who said, don't be afraid. Why is he telling us this? To, to, for hype? No. To scare us? No. He's preparing us. He's warning us. Jesus wants us to be walking so intimately with him that we won't be misled and the trials won't cause us to give up. In his love, he's writing to his bride, to his church. And he knows many will fall away, but he's saying, guess what, church? You don't have to. He's saying you can continue on in the faith with him regardless of what others do and regardless of whatever we encounter in our culture in the time that we live through. Number six. He who endures to the end will be saved. Look at verse 13. That's what it just says. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, I believe in the structure of this that this is actually the main point that Jesus is making in all of verses 14, 4 to 14. That the main point he's trying to make, he's talking about all this chaos, he's, the, the, the center point or the, the com- conclusion point that he's trying to make, the, 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 the main point he's trying to make is that, and no matter what, but those who endure to the end will be saved. I believe this is the primary point that Jesus wants you to get today. Jesus is making it clear that we need to endure to the end. Now, endure isn't, a, isn't an easy word, is it? It means you've got to gut it out a little bit. Four days, letting us know that it won't be an easy path. 
Now, maybe we are still going to live our days, all of us, where it's quite easy to follow Jesus because it's very easy for us to follow Jesus. Nobody chased you down and put a gun to your head or made you walk through picket lines to get into church today. No one threatened your life. No one's burning your house down right now because you're at church. That's happening right now across our globe, but it's not happening for us. Maybe we will live out our lives pretty easy serving the Lord. We don't know, but it just may change very rapidly. So Jesus is letting us know at the end, it's going to get difficult. So he says, endure, don't quit. Keep going to the end. No matter what it costs you here in this life, don't give up on living for the life with Christ, new heaven and new earth. And some of you need to hear this right now. Because although the world hasn't turned against you, still life is spiritually hard and you feel like giving up at times. You feel like giving up. What's the point? Well, Jesus is telling you, it does get tough. But he's saying, endure. Don't give up. He's saying he, by his spirit, is here to help you. Let the difficulty that you walk through cause you to let go of anything and everything that is standing between you and Jesus. And so many times the reason it's tough is because we're clinging on to the world and we want what Jesus offers, but we refuse to let this go to get what he has for us. Let difficulty allow you to let go of everything. And cling on to Jesus. Cling on to the one and the only one that really matters eternally. And that's a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The final point, number seven. The gospel will be preached to the whole world and then the end will come. Look at verse 14. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come. You wonder why we give so much attention and so much money, resources to our kingdom builders, our missions ministry of our church? This is why. Jesus does something pretty amazing here. Jesus ties his return to the spread of the gospel. Jesus ties them together. One of the reasons I feel like we could be right on the cusp of Jesus' return is because taking the gospel all around the world exists for the first time because of technology and because of the glowing, the, the growing church all around the world, the only place, and I've said this to you before, the only place on planet earth where the gospel isn't growing, isn't advancing, is, is um, the Western world. Europe, America, Canada. The only place. The rest of the globe, Christianity is expanding, exploding. In, in places of severe persecution, it's growing. You know? Um, and so... We have the growing church that are becoming very missional and we have crazy technology that lets us go places we couldn't go and we have people willing to lay down their lives and go to those places also. And I'm saying, hey, maybe for the first time we're actually at a place where the world could be reached. And I would say this, the enemy of our soul, Satan, is fighting with all he has to keep this from happening because he does not want people to come to know freedom from his bondage through Christ. But God's church is advancing. And I think, I think of this way, imagine this. We can play a part. Somehow, I'm not saying we go to enough countries and Jesus returns, but somehow there's a link. Somehow he links them together. We can play a part somehow in the timing 
of Jesus' return as we advance the kingdom of God into places where the gospel does not yet exist. And I would say this, that is the most important, the most exciting activity in the eternal plan of God for any child of God, you know, the church, the bride of Christ. The most exciting and important thing we can do. It's why Jesus' parting words to all of us as disciples were this, what? Go and make disciples of all the nations. Church, will, will Jesus return in our lifetime? I don't know. But for the first time in my life, I'm saying, maybe. But if it would... The picture that Jesus paints in chapter 24 of Matthew is that it's going to get ugly, a lot uglier at the end. Tell us that so we're not afraid. So what do we do in this time? Next week, we're going to talk about how we, how we act in all different ways in the five stories that Jesus tells at the end parables. But for today, what do we do? What's the takeaway? Number one, know that Jesus is in control He's got a plan that he's going to hold us through if we endure to the end and that as a church and as individuals, we need to be involved in the most important activity in the cosmos as we're in this in-between time and that's advancing the kingdom of God everywhere. You know what everywhere is? It's in your family, it's in your neighborhood, it's in your workplace, and it's around the globe. We need to advance the kingdom. Because he said, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The question is, are you ready for him to, return, for him to come today? Are you ready? Honestly, if today the trumpet blew, would you have to say, uh, just wait, just give me a minute. Let me take care of this. Where'd you say? Finally. Finally, 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 finally. Let me jump to, to, to get off the ground a, a, in a half a second earlier. That's what he's talking about here. Are we ready? Let's bow our heads together. I want you to think about that question this morning. Are you ready for the return of Christ? He has promised us he's coming back, and the reason we can believe he's coming back is because the Bible had promised he'd come in the first place, and he fulfilled all these prophecies and came the first time 2,000 years ago. It was a promise he would come, he came. He also promised he'd raise from the dead, and he did. And then he promised, I'll come back again. He said, it's going to be a while, and it's going to get ugly by the end, but I'm going to come back again. I'm going to establish my kingdom completely, totally, fully. Are you ready for that? Are you so entangled in the world that the things of the world really have more draw, more appeal to you than living in a state of readiness? Are you spending more energy um, helping your family live in a way that's prepared or more rooted deeply into the systems of this world. What are you doing? Some of you here today, as their heads are bowed and their eyes are closed, may be in one of two camps. 
maybe three camps. First camp is you're like, man, I'm living all out for Jesus and, and I'm looking for his return and I'm saying, Maranatha, even so, come Lord Jesus, come back today. Please, come back today. Some of you may say, you know, I was said that at one time in my life, but the worries of the world, this is what Jesus pointed it in, the, in the parable of the soils, the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches have choked you out and you're not really living in that state anymore. You're kind of fruitless. Uh, meaning, no joy, no peace, no love, no passion. You're fruitless. Or maybe you're here today, and you've never given your heart to Jesus. You've never given, you've never said, Jesus, I want to make you the Lord of my life. Here's what I would tell you, friend, and I mean that honestly, friend, one who God loves in whom he created you to be in union with him that if you're here today and you've not yet given your heart to Jesus today is the day of salvation so I want to do something for that last group the first two groups if you're ready to go praise the Lord endure the second group if you know Christ and and but you you really dwindled away, walked away, drifted away. Everything in the world become way more important. All the activities, all the fun, all the making money, everything else become more important. Um, you know what you need to do. You need to return. The Bible says repent, change direction. You know what's right. The Spirit of God speaking to your heart right now. You know what's right. Go in the right direction. But those of you who are in that situation where you say, I've never yet given my life to Jesus. How you can do it. Today, you can say yes to Christ. And here's how you can do it. In just a moment, I'll give you an opportunity to respond. There's nothing magic about responding, but I think there's something important about responding. Because it's saying, I'm actually saying yes. You're saying, I'm making a change. I'm making a a decision in my life to say, I need the Lord and give my life to Him. So I would say this, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, in all the seriousness of the moment, in light of the text we've been looking at, the return of Christ, not for fear's sake, but for reality. If you're here and you've not yet given your life to Christ or you've walked away from Christ and it's time to come back, I want you to do something between me, you, and God because no one else is looking around. But I think it's important that you do an action. I'm going to start on my right, your left. I want you to just look up at me and look me square in the eyes. I'm going to acknowledge you. I'm going to bow my head. I'm going to nod my head when I see you. Okay? Okay. Going to the center. Okay. Over to my left. Okay. People across the auditorium. And here's what we're going to do, church. I'm going to invite us all to pray. All of us. We're going to pray. There's nothing magical about the words, but it's an act of of surrender and an act of of moving in the direction of God. So let's pray this prayer together. And those of you who all said, yes, it's it's my day. I want you to pray these words from the depths of your heart. You're going to be praying with everybody else. A lot of other people have prayed this prayer, you know, for themselves maybe decades ago, but have prayed it with other people um, hundreds of times. And we're going to simply help you say yes to God. 
So, so follow me in this prayer. All of us pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence. And today, I recognize my need of you. And so on this day, I say yes to you. Come into my life. Make me brand new. Wash away my sin and my guilt. And help me walk with you. I need your fullness. Put your spirit within me. And from this day, I want to live with you as my Savior and Lord. So on this day, I make you Lord of my life. And I ask you to help me to now walk with you every day of my life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, there's two things I want you to know. First of all, the Bible says, Jesus says, there's a party in heaven going on. He said there's more rejoicing over one person who comes into the kingdom than 99 who are already there. He's like, yeah, I'm happy they're there, but I'm, I'm just ecstatic when somebody gets it and says yes. The second thing is this. God never intended you to live a Christian life on your own. Never for a minute. Christianity is not a solo activity. It is a communal thing. We help one another. And I'm going to ask you to do something before you go to sleep tonight, before your head hits the pillow and you go to sleep. Matter of fact, some of you, your head's going to hit the pillow. I want you to get back up and do what I'm going to say. I want you to tell somebody that you know that is a believer in Jesus that today you said yes to Jesus. The reason I want you to do that is it cements it in and it also gives them permission to help you in your walk. Because the Bible says this, doesn't matter how old you are, if you said yes to Jesus today, it says that spiritually you're like a little baby, you're an infant, meaning you've got to learn some things and you need help. And the reason that God created the church is to be that place, that we're the place that helps you. We help each other. We're not the know-it-alls. I'm absolutely not a know-it-all. What I am is a, a journeyer, a fellow journeyer on a journey with Jesus, following him, and we're trying to all do it together. Well, we help each other in the journey. Some are just further down the path than others. So you need to tell somebody today. If you don't have a church home, you're welcome to get involved. Sure, and that ours looks a little different than it normally does, and hopefully it's going to look a lot better, about, a lot different in the near future, and that we can start meeting together differently. But for right now, I don't think any of you came alone. If you came alone and you don't know anybody, then tell me. Otherwise, it's better off you tell somebody that you came with and somebody you know. Because there's probably somebody that you know has that you know as a believer has been praying for you for a long time. Tell them. They're going to rejoice and they're going to help you. Amen? Let's stand together. Jesus, I thank you that you have not left us to drift in this world, but you've given us your word inspired by your spirit that makes it real within our hearts today. And Lord, I pray now for your church, the Portview family, the greatest greatest group in the world. I pray now that, Lord, you would help us to live in your reality in these days and we would shine like lights in the darkness and we would take that light to every dark corner 
that we come encounter with to tell bound people that there's freedom in Christ. Help us to live in that freedom, not be chained by the world, but live in that freedom all for your glory and the glory of your kingdom and our blessing. So now let your goodness and your grace rest on everyone as we spend this day living in your presence and in your abundance. In Jesus' name, amen.